Amen. So give Michael Hansen a really big welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, well, why don't I jump in? No funny thought came. To, no funny quip came to my mind. That's probably a good thing. But uh, hey, I'm going to be continuing uh, from where Danny left off last weekend. <laughs> We're in a series looking at Galatians. And before I get into that, wasn't it great to have Danny back in the saddle last weekend? Okay. And if you, if you missed last weekend, uh, I, I strongly want to encourage you to, to either go online, listen to the podcast, or pick up a free CD as you leave. Danny, you know, chapter three focuses in a lot on the law. And I thought there's some of the things Danny said about the law that I'd never heard it put that way before. And it was incredibly uh, encouraging. So, so don't miss out on that. But uh, chapter three rolls right into chapter four. And uh, Paul is going to continue this uh, going after the, the Judaizers. Remember these, these, these uh, Jewish Christians who are twisting the gospel uh, and, and really confusing these Galatian believers. And, and the question that we're gonna look at tonight is uh, the question of chapter four is uh, who, who are God's true children? And if you're familiar with uh, the book of Genesis, you've, you're familiar with the story of how God you know, revealed himself to Abraham, comes to this man and just says, hey Abraham, through you, you know, I am going to uh, give you, you know, more descendants, a people group more numerous than all the sand and the seashore and <clears throat> If you're familiar with the story, from Abraham came Isaac, from Isaac came Jacob, and from Jacob, 12 sons, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so when we talk about true, God's true children, I can understand how the Jewish people and the, and the Judaizers in the story, how they, you know, as blood descendants, is that I can understand how they would say, hey, we are the true children of God, or another way that they would put it is we are the, the true children of Abraham, but Again, if you're familiar with the story in Genesis, you know that when God revealed himself to Abraham and, and you know, said, I want to give you this huge family that it, that, you know, and, and you'll be my chosen people, that it wasn't just for Abraham's family. That what God said to him back in Genesis was, you know, I want every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group, I want them to also be part of this family. And, you know, when, when we see, if you've been watching the news, all this ugliness that's coming out right now in our country with racism and all that's going on and everyone, you know, taking up sides and drawing up, you know, sort of a lot of division that we're seeing. It's so good for us to remember as followers of Jesus that when we get to heaven, when we walk into heaven, there aren't going to be any, it's not going to be sectioned off, right? You won't get to the gates of heaven and they'll go, oh, your name is this, little Italy, you go over there, right? Or, oh, Chinatown, you're over there. Oh, you're from Canada? Just wear, just follow the snow. You know, it's like, it's not, actually, that's where I'll be, but, uh, uh, but when we get to heaven, it's going to be one big happy family gathered around our Father. And the thing is that that's the heart of the gospel. The gospel breaks walls down. The, broad, the gospel is including and constantly inviting, and, and, and we won't see it fully realized till we get to heaven, but that starts now. God is doing that work now. But what we see in Galatians 4 is the Judaizers are telling these young, you know, uh, Galatian believers, uh, no, actually, unless you become like us, unless you start adhering to the, you know, the Jewish laws and customs, if you don't do that, then, well, you know, you're not 
a true child of God. In fact, you're, and this is in your notes, you're, you're actually like, you're like second class children. Well, it's no wonder that Paul is a little burned and he's going after, and, he, and he's going after these accusations of these Judaizers. Really, he's going after their lies. And what we'll see in chapter four is, he, is he, he's calling them out and he's, and he's saying to these Galatian people, you know, don't listen to them. That is not the heart of the gospel. And, you know, tonight is, as we look at this chapter, I am also aware that just like in this story, we also have accusers. We also, we have an enemy that is constantly wanting to steal our birthright. Constantly wanting to, like, sort of like what I said at the beginning of worship, blind us to the truth of the gospel that you are God's child. That you are not a second class child, third, fourth, whatever, whatever he uses on you. But tonight God is, wants to uh, remind us simply that we're his kids. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll jump into Galatians 4. <clears throat> Lord, thanks so much for another opportunity to, just to come together, Lord, and, and, and I guess in a sense to, to get a taste of heaven. All these different people, all these different backgrounds, and, but here we are, we're together. We're gathered around you, our Father. And I pray tonight, as, as we talk a lot about being your kids, that, that you would you'd go way beyond my words and you would just, you would be here with such a fatherly presence. Lord, I, uh, I ask that you would come and uh, uh, set us free from anything that keeps us from, from walking in the truth of being your sons and daughters. We welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Galatians 4. <coughs> Excuse me. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles at the front and also at the back. Feel free to grab one. Galatians chapter four, and like I said in the introduction, really uh, chapter three rolls right into in chapter four. And what I mean is that theme of the law rolls into chapter four. And if you remember from last week, uh, what we saw in chapter three was that you know Paul makes this clear uh, statement that apart from Jesus, apart from Jesus, everybody is enslaved. Right? Everybody is in need of, of rescuing. And, and, and like Danny looked at a lot last week, there was this, uh, the, we talked a lot about the, the, the role of the law. Remember how the, the law is like a tutor or the law is like a, like a guardian. And I, and I love this, how Danny talked last weekend. It's like the law was like road markers that was, was keeping these people in line. But the law, as effective as it was, it, it couldn't set them free. And if you remember from last weekend, the law, what the law did is it showed them what sin was. Don't do this. And we would do that. We learned about sin. Uh, uh, the law actually ignited a desire in us to sin more. You say, no, suddenly I want to do it. The law uh, brought us all to this place of incredible despair when we realized, I can't do this. I am stuck. I cannot break out of this, you know, this, this prison cell of of, of you know, slavery to sin. Well, that's when God cues Jesus. And that's what we're looking at right now. So Galatians 4, verse 4 says, chapter 4, verse 4 says this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. 
And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So number one in your notes is this. Very simply, you are God's children. And again, this amazing truth of the gospel is under attack. You know, all these young believers in Galatia, they're, they're, they're confused now about, well, are we or aren't we? Do we have to do this? Do we have to do that? And Paul, again, he's coming to him and he's saying, you guys, don't, don't listen to what those, those, those false teachers are saying. Right? Don't listen to them. Uh, you're not second-class children. In fact, you know, as high and mighty as they come across, the truth is, apart from Jesus, this gift that Jesus offers to everyone, apart from that, everybody, including them, is trapped in slavery to sin. Apart from Jesus, we, we all need to be rescued. And, and Paul's like, but remember, remember what I told you. That's what Jesus did. And look at the way that Jesus rescued us. I love how it says in verse four that when God sent his son, he sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's not like here we are in our, in our, our prison cell, or, you know, our, our cell of, you know, enslaved to sin. Jesus didn't come to the window and go, hey, hey, if you can pick the lock, I've got a getaway car waiting, right? If you can just get outside to me, I'll get you out of there. And isn't that the problem? You're sitting there going, well, that's, I can't. I can't get to you, Jesus. I'm locked, I, I need rescuing. And what I, what I love about how Jesus rescues us is that he comes to where we are, right? Isn't that amazing? It says that, you know, Jesus was born of a woman. This is God we're talking about, right? This is almighty God, born of a woman, born under the law, born into a broken world, born into a dysfunctional family, born into, you know, the time in Jerusalem, a political mess. They're, you know, they're captives in their own land under the Roman boot. Jesus became just like us in every way, minus the whole sin thing. He didn't give in to that. But isn't that amazing? I mean, if you're struggling, if you're in a place of struggle, or if you're in a place of shame tonight, just think that, Jesus loves to stoop down. Jesus loves to get down into the nitty gritty and, and meet you right where you are. And what I love about his rescue is that it isn't catch and release. And, and here's sort of the picture I get. And sometimes I think I, well, I'll leave it up to you to judge where my mind goes. But literally the picture I get is we're all swimming you know, through the stream of life, and that's how you do it, and we're swimming like that, and we're going along, and there's a hook, there's some temptation, and oh, we bite onto the hook, and suddenly we're enslaved to, you know, to this, this sin, and, and, and here comes Jesus, he comes to rescue us, he runs into the water, and hold on, little buddy, and whoa, these humans are slippery, you know, and, he's, and he gets the hook out of our mouth, and it's, and he doesn't, it's not catch and release, like, there you go, off you go, little buddy, go find another hook, right? That's not how he, that's not how he rescues us. God sent Jesus to where we are to set us free and then to bring us to where he is. Now, what I mean by that is I'm not talking about heaven. I mean, God, he, he didn't just rescue us to set us free. He rescued us to adopt us. We've been rescued to really come to the place where Jesus is. And I'm talking, I'm talking relationally. And see, God knows us. He knows, like, just... Uh, how weak we are and how, how quick we are to forget, how quick we are to forget that we're his kids. 
Like, you know, even though we go through a, an adoption ceremony, you have an, a conversion experience, you get baptized, right? It's like an adoption ceremony. But God knows how prone we are to, to forget that. And so what does he do? Verse six says this. Paul says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And that word Abba, I know uh, it's an Aramaic word and, and uh, uh, the, you know, I think the closest word we would have to, if we were to translate that would be the word daddy. And, and just saying that word, I, you know, for me, I never called my dad daddy. It's, it's, it's such an intimate word, isn't it? And the thing about, you know, within the Jewish culture, that word Abba was used, it wasn't just the little children who called their dad Abba. Because we sort of expect that from a little child, don't we? Daddy, you know, daddy. Like we, just like that. But within the Jewish culture, it wasn't just the little kids. It was the adult children called their father Abba. Because it had nothing to do with age. It had everything to do of, of just really of speaking to the level of, of intimacy. It spoke to the level of, of familiarity of, of just the, the incredible love there was between the father and the child. And you know, I remember <clears throat> uh, when I was a teenager, I, you know, many times I'd go home with friends and I remember these two friends, they would come over to my house and my mom, who loves to cook and she's a great cook, uh, she would feed us. And I remember, you know, isn't it like with stray cats? Don't feed them, mom. <laughs> They'll never leave, and, which was pretty true, uh, come to think of it. But, but I remember with these, these two friends, they would come over and, um, and instead of, they, they, sort of, they started calling my parents Mr. and Mrs. Hansen, which makes sense. But after they'd been over a few times, I noticed that they started calling my parents mom and dad. And I don't know if this says something about me, but something inside me went, wait a minute. You, you, you can't call them mom and dad. They're not, they're not your mom and dad. They're my mom and dad. Because those, those terms are intimate, aren't they? And I'm like, and maybe I'm getting a bit of a taste of what the Judaizers felt. Like, how dare you call him father? He's our father. I mean, I, that woman gave birth to me, not to you. Now, thankfully, Jesus... Uh, is not like that, where, uh, you know, and, and, and God knowing our struggle, God knowing the struggle we have in receiving this incredible truth, and really, not just hearing it, but living in it, right, knowing that we have this struggle, and I love about this verse, where basically when it says that God sent the spirit of Jesus into our hearts, the picture I get is, you know, God puts his arm around Jesus, and he goes, Jesus, you know, we're talking about this whole Abba, Father thing. They don't get it, but you get it. You're my boy. You, you're, you're my son. You know me. You know my love. I mean, we've been together forever. You know my faithfulness. You know my goodness. Jesus, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna send you into all their hearts so that you can teach them let me teach you from inside. Let me teach you how to be his son because I know how to do that. Let me teach you how to be his daughter. I know how to do that. See, and, you know, because of Jesus, because, you know, it's, it, the gift of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel is that now we get to know the Father the same way Jesus knows him. And again, I'm not talking about heaven. 
I'm talking about now. That we get to look at Almighty God, that you know, the maker of heaven, of the heavens and the earth, this being beyond our understanding, and we get to walk into his presence and go, Daddy. We get to call him Daddy. And here's here's the thing that jumps out at me when I think about this. Uh, is it any wonder this is such a battle zone for us? Getting a handle on this truth that we're as kids. Because you know what, if you, get a, if you get more of a handle on this, whatever the enemy throws your way, whatever challenges come your way, there'll just be nothing. Because you're like, I'm with him. What, what have I got to fear? You know, is it, is it any wonder that, <clears throat> that one of the places in life, as we as human beings and in, in all the relationships we have, is it any wonder that the place where there's really the, I think the biggest battle, the place where the deepest wounds occur is within, is with our parents and especially with, uh, with our fathers. See, I, I think the enemy knows that if he can, if he can mess that concept up of a loving father, if he can, if he can, if he can break the trust if he can wound, wound you, wound me, wound us so deeply that, that we cower. And even the, na- even the word father just stirs nothing but pain. Doesn't it make sense that, he's, he, that he would go after that because he knows if I get him there, the rest of my job's pretty easy. If I wound them there, boy, it, you know, it, it really is gonna make it pretty easy to go after all these other areas of their life. I mean, think about it. How do you approach God? I mean, how do you, how do you talk to him? I mean, do you talk to him? Do you come into his presence like a child? Do you, uh, uh, I mean, is it, is it hard to even think of God as your father? You know, are you sitting there right now going, please move on to the next point? This is just a, this is a hard, hard place. You know, Paul is saying to the Galatians, and he's saying it to us, remember what I told you guys, Jesus came to set us free, not just for freedom's sake. He came to set us free so that we could receive and experience our rightful heritage, our God-given positions as his kids, adoption into his family now. And you know, there are people here tonight that God wants to heal some deep wounds that get in the way of you receiving and experiencing uh, your father's love. And you know, and that, that healing, it may take a moment, it may take years. But here's what I know, God will not stop pursuing you. He won't just go, oh well. Because you know what, he didn't adopt us for us to stay at a distance. He adopted us to come close, to be his children. He adopted us to be like Jesus, to be that close and that intimate with our fathers. So the breakdown was supposed to happen in point two, but uh, I'm good with this. So Paul affirms the Galatians in very clear language. You are not second class children. You have been adopted into God's family and now you can approach God the same way Jesus does. Let's, let's move, uh, read on. Verse eight says this. <clears throat> It says, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. 
But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Now that's, that's strong language. And uh, number two is this. And what, Paul, and what that strong language is all about. It's the danger of religious works. And, and again, you know, the question being addressed in chapter four, who are God's true children? And when Paul came to them, when he was on his missionary journey, and he comes to them and he shares the gospel with, with these people in Galatia, basically what he said to them was, uh, you know, how do you become one of God's children? It's, it's, it's believing and putting your faith in Jesus. It's relying on what Jesus did to bring you into that relationship with God. That's what Paul taught them. But what the Judaizers were doing, again, they're perverting that gospel. They're saying, well, actually, you need to add to what Paul said. You need to add to it works. You need to adhere to the laws and the customs. You need to become Jewish. You need, and more, instead of reliance on Jesus, now suddenly it becomes a reliance on you to make sure you, you know, that you're doing all these, all these different things. And, and Paul's, you know, he's, he's looking at these Galatian believers and you can hear in what I read, there's this concern. Oh boy, you're, getting, you're, you're falling back into slavery again. And I don't think his concern was uh, that they're falling back into the slavery that they came out of, meaning when they didn't uh, know God. I think it's like he's going, no, this is worse. This is worse. You're, 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 falling in, you're in danger of embracing a new kind of slavery, the slavery of works. The slavery of, you know, of keeping the law, of, of having to earn the gift of God, of missing out on the grace that God offers us. So verse 19, you know, he says, what are you guys doing? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. And Paul's like, I didn't tell you that. It's like, wait, 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 time out here, you guys. You, you have been adopted as children, you know, welcomed into your father's house, but now you are choosing to live in the servants' quarters. What are you, what are you guys, what are you doing? Now, you know, now you're choosing to earn what's already been given to you. You guys, you're being misled here. The, you know, these works are leading you right back into what, uh, what Jesus rescued you from. And, you know, I, I said earlier that, you know, how the enemy, he works overtime to try to steal uh, or rob us of this incredible relationship that we've been, uh, that God offers to each one of us. And it's kind of like, you know, he leans into your life and, and he's a pro, he's a professional liar. And he knows just the right time to whisper that lie. And he sort of leans in, hey, uh, we all know the saying, right? If it's too good to be true, it's probably not true. You better grab a shovel and look busy, right? You know what I'm saying in that? That it's like he's going, he's going I know it sounds good, but, but you know, he's pointing them to performance, Right, that's the, the lie of the enemy that you, you, know, you think it's free, but it's not free. And here's the thing, I, I think we fall for, for this, we're so prone to, to having to earn stuff in this life because that's the world we live in. We live, I, don't, you know, I think it starts from at a very young age, you learn about you know, performance and, and comparing and how do I, you know, where, how do I measure up to, to the classroom? How do I measure up to the, you know, the people at work or in the neighborhood or whatever clubs and groups? We're constantly comparing. It's like, you know, it's like right now it's so popular. Everyone's got these, what do you call them, Fitbits? <clears throat> right, it's very hip. 
I think, you know, we're all Olympic athletes now. But, but you know, what, what do they do? It basically, it measures um, your physical health, right? Your vitals and how your exercise and all these different things. One of the realities of being born into a broken world is that we're all born with this inner Fitbit that measures our performance, right? That measures, well, how do I, you know, how do I, you know, measure up? Or how do I, where do I stand in this room right now, right? Or in whatever situation you're in. There's this, there's this inner thing in us that's constantly, really, for the most part, part pointing out our failures and where we're, where we're falling behind in performance. And, you know, and that's, that's where I never get tired. You know, uh, I think it was earlier this year, and I lose track, but remember when Danny did Gospel of Wholeness? I never get tired of hearing, remember, the goal of the Christian life is it starts with an intimate relationship with God. You're adopted into his family. And as you, you know, increasingly, you know, uh, 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 believe that and live in that place, you're gonna grow into a place where you depend more on God. Like, hey, I can trust you. Yeah, you do love me. Right, and then and as that grows, where does it lead? It leads into, you know, you've been, you've been adopted, you're learning to depend on him, and then, and then it gets to our behavior. And then it gets to our performance. But again, the culture we're raising, I think from day one, there's this, there's this voice screaming, good performance equals love and acceptance. Right, and, here, and one, of the, one of the dangers is that, you know, that, that brokenness of our, of our culture that, you know, I just think a school, isn't school one big long test of where do I fit in and am I better or worse or am I, you know, I mean, I just think back to the sports field and all the things, oh, talk to my counselor. But anyways, unfortunately, that brokenness flows into our relationship with God. And listen to this quote. It says, Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus apart from their present spiritual achievements, performance, are subconsciously radically insecure persons, much less secure than non-Christians because of the constant bulletins they receive from their Christian environment about the holiness of God and the righteousness they are supposed to have. Does that make sense? Every time you go to church, well, Christians live like this and Christians do that and we're generous and we love and we turn the other cheek and on and on and on and on and and your list just grows and grows. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness and defensive criticism of others. It's competitive. They cling desperately to legal pharisaical righteousness, but envy, jealousy, and other sins grow out of their fundamental insecurity. See, it's, it's, it's this lie that, that, you know, his love, his sonship, this gift of being his kid, it depends on our performance. It depends on us getting it all right. And, and, you know, and whether we are trying to earn something from a place of pride, like, hey, I can do this, or whether we're trying to earn something from a place from fear, like, oh, no, I better do this. Here's one of the things about religious works that is just, it, it, it does so much damage, is that this, these attempts to, to try to get closer to God actually drive us further away from him. And, and here's what I mean. You know, you remember the story of the, the prodigal son, right? The father uh, with two sons. And I, <coughs> you know, sort of get this picture in my mind. If you were their neighbors, right? You're the ranch beside them and you're looking over the fence and you see that older brother, you know, he's, he's out there working every day. And I'm sure if, from the distance, you're looking at him and you're going, Wow, that is a model son right there. 
I mean, look at that boy. Wow, I mean, that is his father's son. And right? they're looking at, at what he's doing. And then, and then I can just hear them saying in pity about his younger brother, you know, the black sheep of the family, right? Oh, I don't know what's, I don't know what's happened. I don't know what's happened with him. You know, what a, what a heartbreaker that, that boy has been. And when, you know, the danger, of, the danger of religious works of trying to earn God's gift is that they can make you look like you're close to God. They can even make you feel like you're close to God. You know, it seems to satisfy that inner Pharisee, that inner Fitbit that says you better measure up, right? There's something about that that it can, it seems to, you know, to, to sort of satisfy that inner accuser, but the reality is you could be doing all this stuff and your heart is miles away from God. There's no relationship. And we see this in the story of the, of the you know, the, the older brother, you know, when, um, you know, when the, when the, old, the, the younger brother comes home, we see this, <clears throat> really, we see the gospel in the way the father receives this mess of his son, right? and the way he loves on him and, and welcomes him. And, and it's an indicator of the older brother's heart when you know, he sees this incredible love and mercy of his father being poured out on his younger brother. And, and really what most people probably assumed he was so familiar with because look at how hard he worked, right? But, it, but in, the truth was, his, he, he was not familiar with the love and the kindness of the, of, of the father. And you, know, and, and you know in the story, the younger brother comes home and basically confesses, oh, father, I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father scoops him up and throws a party. And, and here's where we get to the older brother. Uh, Luke 15, 25 says this. <clears throat> it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field working, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Oh, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Isn't that awesome? And look at what the older brother says. Uh, it says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat <clears throat> so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. What are you talking about Slaving. You're slaving for me? Why are you slaving for me? Like you wanted a goat? You, you could have asked me, you could have asked me for anything. You're my son, everything I have is yours. And, uh, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. See, the younger brother embraced the gospel and was filled with joy because he got what he didn't deserve. The older brother missed the gospel and was filled with anger because he didn't get what he thought he deserved. See, the, dangers, the danger of religious works is that it, like I said, it feeds our inner Pharisee, right? It, it can feed our pride in this, you know, uh, uh, it almost gets to the place of you owe me now, but it misses the gift of the gospel. And, and so now we're saved by works and not by grace. Now we're not his sons and daughters, we're, we're his employees. And, you know, like the older brother, there's, 
it's just a matter of time until, until we're offended when our Father extends grace to someone else. Does that make sense? Like, I mean, you see the, the distance that's been created in this brother's heart, that he's, he's distant from his father, he's distant from his brother. And, you know, when I talk about works, here's, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, uh, you know, with religious works, with, with, with uh, uh, you know, in following Jesus, reading our Bibles, spiritual disciplines, like all, the, all these different things, I'm not saying, so they don't matter, let's all go to Bob Evans, Amen. <clears throat> what I'm talking about is why do we do them? Why do we do them? Like, I've got an inner Pharisee. And there's times where I'm feeling guilty. And I'll, you know, I, I remember one time sitting down and reading my Bible and something inside me seemed to get satisfied. But, I, but, but it was, and I don't know how to explain it, but I know it wasn't, it wasn't because I connected with God. It's because I connected with, phew, I had a quiet time. Does that make sense? Okay, because I wasn't so sure. But, but the thing is, it's the, it's the question of, it's not the work, it's why we do it. And you know, you know that, you know that you're trying to earn from God. One of the indicators is, is uh, that you're relying on your performance and not on his performance or on his grace is when there is a lack of grace in your life. When there's a lack of joy and love and patience, I mean, with yourself and with others, when you're overly critical, when you're overly competitive, like that's like, that's like a dashboard light, ding, 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 ding. You might wanna, you might wanna check this one. Right? You, you're, somewhere you're missing out on grace. Somewhere you've forgotten who you are, that you're with your father, and that everything he has is yours. You know, I think there's people here tonight, you, it's like God wants to come close to you and he wants to take the weight off your shoulders. I mean, any perfectionists here tonight? He wants to take the weight off your shoulders of getting everything right. And he wants to remind you, like with the older brother, my son, my daughter, you don't have to, you don't have to slave for me. You don't have to beg from me. Everything I have is yours. He wants to remind you of that tonight. All right, I need to keep going here. Number three. We'll end with this, the daily struggle of living by faith, right? The daily struggle of living by faith. And what I mean is, okay, if this is all true, that we don't have to earn it, that it's a gift, that uh, because of what Jesus did, we've been adopted into his family and, and that, you know, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit now lives in us, helping us get this, helping us learn, you know, to learn how to live this way. Well, uh, well then, uh, does it, well, wait a sec, what just happened there? Please, just busy yourselves. Right, it's the struggle of faith to now walk that out. If it's all true, okay, what does that look like now? How do we live that out? Well, let's read on here. Galatians 4, 21 <clears throat> says this. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, right, you who are choosing, really what he's saying is you who are choosing to be under, under the law, you who are choosing to rely on performance. Are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. Now we'll stop there. 
So again, Paul's going back to this Old Testament story. Uh, it's Genesis 16 and 21, and, and it's just talking about these, these two sons of Abraham. And, you know, the first was Ishmael, and he says this is the slave-born son. And what he's talking about is Ishmael, uh, uh, Ishmael's mother was Hagar, who was Sarah's uh, Egyptian slave. And uh, uh, Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations. He's a key figure in the, in the faith of, of Islam. And, but then the second son that Paul refers to as, you know, as the freeborn son was, was Isaac, who is the son, uh, the son of Sarah. And, and again, you're, you know, the story is just, remember how God comes to Abraham and makes this incredible promise to them. He's like, hey, I am gonna give you and Sarah, I'm gonna give you this massive family. And they're standing there listening to this going, uh, well, we don't, we don't have any kids and we're like old uh, AARP members for many years now. And uh, I don't know how this is gonna happen, but you've made a promise, okay. And so they, you know, really they enter into this place of faith. Okay, he said it, he said it, he said it. And then it's like 10 or so years later, Sarah's like, I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't know if he's forgotten or if he's busy somewhere else or I I don't know. We gotta make this promise happen. So why don't you take my young servant girl, Hagar? And Abram's like, okay, way to go, Abe. That's another message. But but aren't we the same way? Right, you know, if you're gonna choose the way of faith, you're choosing the way of waiting most often. You're choosing a way where there's struggle, where there's constant temptation to let's find another way. See, and that's, and really this, this whole, this section, this story from, from Genesis, really what Paul is saying to these Galatian believers who are, right, these Judaizers are saying, no, you gotta do this. And Paul said, but remember I said this. Basically what he's saying to them is, you guys, this is how it works. You have to make a choice, right? It's, it's choosing. You, you need to choose what child do you wanna be? You want to be the child of the slave woman, which means now you rely on you, on your effort to fulfill God's promise. Or do you want to choose to be a child of the free woman, which means now you rely on God to fulfill this promise. And you know, when I think of that thing, the whole, the whole concept of making a choice, I think, isn't that what faith is? It's choosing to believe. It's, it's choosing to believe you know that, okay, God says this, I believe it's true, and now, now I choose to, to live my life believing that's true. I mean, that's really what faith is. I mean, do you, do you believe that you've been adopted into God's family? That's a question. Yes. We had to say yes now, right? No, what are you getting at? But now, so now you believe it. Faith means now when you leave here, you face life from that place of belief. Isn't that what faith is? So you leave here and you get a phone call and what, what happened? <gasps> well, we don't, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm his, ch- I'm his son, I'm his daughter. I mean, that, that's what faith is. Now, but that's really hard though, isn't it? It's what Abraham and Sarah went through. It's like choosing the way of faith is a struggle because it's out of our hands now. And if we could really see it from God's perspective, he'd be like, and that's awesome for you. But from our perspective, our control freak perspective, it's like, no, I'd rather have, I would rather have it more in my hands. But, but the thing is, and, and you know, so it's, it's a struggle, and it's a hard, it's hard, you know, to live in that place. Added to the struggle, listen to this, verse 29, Paul continues referring back to the story in Genesis. At that time, 
The son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. And it is the same now. And he's saying to these Galatian believers, he's saying, see, that's what's happening right now. You know, back in Genesis, Ishmael was older and Isaac was born and he, he started to, you know, I'm not sure I totally understand, but I think there was probably a power struggle. Hey, don't forget there, Isaac, I'm the firstborn, right? And there's this, and, 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 I'm, and that's really, in a sense, what was happening in, in with the people of Galatia, that the, the Judaizers were coming in in this place of, we're where you want to get to. Right, or, or, or say, looking at them, you know, trying to decide, boy, Paul said it's by faith and they're saying it's by works to really simplify it down. And, and it's sort of like the Judaizers are, are persecuting them. They're mocking them. Like, are you kidding me? It's by faith? No, 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 no. You've been misled. There's this, there's like a, does that make sense? There's a persecution against the, 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 the choice that they've made. And, and the truth is, it's the same for us. And what I mean is, if you're gonna choose to walk the way of faith, and, and again, it's this lifelong process of learning how to do it. If you're gonna choose that road, you're gonna be persecuted. And, and that, that's a strong word. What I mean is you're gonna be made fun of at times, right? The enemy is, wants to beat that down. He wants you to choose the other path. He doesn't want you to rely on God to be your father to love you and provide for you and guide you and all that he does in this amazing relationship that we have with him. And, he, and, and more, times, uh, more often than not, the way that the enemy comes at us as we choose this road of, of faith is it'll come through people close to us, the, the sort of the, the, the comments or the looks. Does that make sense where you, you, know, you set out in life and you're, let's say you're in your early 20s or whatever age and you've, you've made it clear that, you know what, I've... You know, I'm gonna wait for God to bring a spouse into my life because I believe he's got a plan for me. I believe he's got a spouse for me. And you got people looking at you like, are you crazy? What is this, 1950? You gotta go play the field. Right? And that's, that's, that's taking a shot at your faith. Right, or, or you know, you're at work and, and you're, I'm gonna forego this promotion I don't know. I feel, you know, I feel like God said we need to trust him and, 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 uh, and he's gonna fulfill, he's gonna supply our needs and your, your father-in-law is going, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, what are, what's with this boy? I mean, that's irresponsible. Or I, I met with a family this last week. They literally are walking away from their jobs, packing up and they're moving to France as missionaries to work at the Vineyard Church there. And I know that, they're, and they're there in some really, really cool careers. And I know that people are looking at them like, what a waste. You guys are at the top of your game. What a waste as they step into the way of faith and choose to walk the path of faith as opposed to relying on themselves to, you know, to make it happen. And, and you know, in this struggle, in this, you know, living in the struggle of, of living by faith, there's a, there's a little verse that I skipped over that gives great meaning to the struggle of living by faith. And it's Galatians 4.19. It says this, <clears throat> Paul says to them, he says, my dear children, for whom I, I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's this little verse, but it just, it just screams, this is the plan, right? This is the plan. You know, God, Jesus, I wanna send you, you know, into them and I want you to teach them how to be like you. Well, that's what this verse is saying, that God wants to form 
wants Jesus to be formed in us. He wants us to become more and more and more and more like Jesus, this side of heaven. And you know the main way he does that? Is through struggle. I mean, I wish there was a pill. I wish there was a conference. That's probably a, or a book. But it's through the struggle that he literally he literally wants, he's gonna walk us through things and he, and he wants to bring us to this place where we're, we're so much like Jesus that we have, that we have the faith like Jesus had. And this is gonna sound extreme, but I believe this is where God wants to bring us when it comes to faith, when it comes to believing, I'm your boy, I'm your daughter, and whatever you say, whatever you have planned for me is, is best because I know you're faithful. He wants to bring us to this kind of faith where picture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Knowing the cross is, 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 you know, right on the horizon. And he's sitting there praying, saying, Abba, Daddy, I'm afraid. This, this is really hard. You sure there isn't another way? Right? Can we, can we? But what does he say? Look at the faith of this son. He says, yet, not my will but yours be done. See, that's what he wants to form in us. That's the kind of faith he wants to form in us. That you, I mean, whatever situation you're in now that's like hard and really you feel like he's abandoned you. But you know, the, the, the picture I get is that he's right there. He's just saying, don't stop. Don't give up. You think, you think I've abandoned you, but the truth is I am closer to you than I've ever been. The fact is right now as you're struggling under this weight that I am working in a deep place in you, I am forming Jesus in you. But it comes through the struggle. But here's, here's what I love about the struggle. You know, it's, and, and I think what grows us, what, what, because we're not there yet. We're not at that level of faith yet. I know I'm not. But what's gonna get us there, it's in the midst of the struggle. It's where we get those little glimpses of our father. And just like, do you know what I'm talking about? Where you just, you just get this little, just this tiny little glimpse and it's like, oh, it feeds you. That little glimpse feeds you for a year. Does that make sense? Like, you know what, what we're, we're getting near the end of August. I love the fall. I can't wait you know, I, I, I totally, we've lived in Ohio now how many years? 17 years. I, I just can't stand the summers. I can't stand the humidity. Can I just get that off my chest? Okay, that's, I'll gripe. It's just so hot and just so, oh, oh boy. I wear like four t-shirts, but it's like, but then you'll get up that one morning in a few weeks and you'll walk outside and it's gonna be cool. You know what I'm talking about? It's gonna have that fall feel and you'll go, ah, oh, I believe again, Right? I believe, okay, we are in the right place, we'll stay here. You know, it's like, I, I am convinced in the struggle to live by faith, it's like that. It's that little taste of your father's love. And you go, okay, I won't take it into my own hands. I won't try to fulfill your promise for my life. I will continue to trust you and let you lead the way. Why don't we, why don't we stand up? <clears throat>
Let's just pray. Lord, you know, I started off by praying that your, your, father, your fatherly presence would be here. And I pray that you would come right now. That you'd come and just father us right now. That you'd come close. Surprise us with your presence right now. Just come, Lord. And I just, just the theme, you know, the all night of Venus kids, I, I just have a sense that there's people here that, boy, the enemy has been working on you. And that you, you, you know, even sitting in this room, even listening to me tonight, there's just this, there's this rock in your chest of like almost like, like well, it's, no, not almost, but a doubt. Like, I don't know. You know, if, if I'm in the family, I am a second class or third or fourth. So I believe there's people here tonight, God wants to remind you that you're his, his child. He wants to come close and remind you that you're his child. There's some people tonight, he wants to lift off of you the weight of getting it right. Just the sense of striving. You've lost the joy of your salvation. If you were honest, it would be the burden of your salvation. And God wants to to lift that weight off your shoulders. And then uh, another group is, I, I just had a sense that there's people here that you're in a struggle. And he wants to stir your faith. I just saw him, whatever those things are called, baffle, bellow. That he, he wants to fan that your faith fire into flame tonight. So uh, Naomi's gonna lead us in a song. Come on up, come to Jesus. And uh, let's make sure everyone who comes forward that has, uh, uh, someone's praying for him, but just uh, let's take some time to let God come close right now. So come on up, and then I'll come back and end the service. Goodness with 
we do Jesus you know that your spirit that lives within us I pray that you would teach us teach us how to live this life as your sons and daughters teach us how on our best day to go Abba on our worst day to say Abba Father just keep us in that place of relying on you Lord help us in that place of struggle Keep looking for you and trusting that you have our best in mind all the time. Just keep us close to you this week. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.